Not only should Walters be your spot before and after every Nats game, but also Walters is an avenue for cheaper Nats tickets. When buying tickets to Nationals Park through the rest of the season, enter promo code WALTERS for 30% off. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Swing and a line drive. Caught it first by Harper. He's going to have a double play, and the game is over. A late swing by Thomas. A line drive. Harper to foul ground to catch it. And Abrams too far off. Could not get back. It's a line drive. Double play. Unassisted. Handled by Harper. And the Phillies take game one of the doubleheader. And often if they have a late inning comeback, Joy Manessis is in the middle of it. And here comes Joey. 0 for 3. 1 for 7 in the doubleheader. That big two-run homer tied the game in Cincinnati. That was in the eighth inning. We'll take one of the seven. Set Hoffman throws. Swing a fly ball, deep left field. This game is going to be tied. It is going, going, and long gone. Seven rows deep into the seats in left. A two-run game-tying home run. Number 10 on the season from Manessis on cue. Nationals four, Phillies four. Now the pitch, swung on, belted to deep left. It is gone, goodbye. Joey Manessis with his second home run of the night. And as many at-bats, a two-run homer to tie in the seventh. Bang, zoom, he goes here in the ninth. And the Nationals have the lead. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Tuesday was a long day for the Nationals as they played the rare single admission doubleheader. The Nats on Tuesday, beginning at 4.05 p.m., played a single admission doubleheader at the Philadelphia Phillies for games one and two of a four-game series off game one on Monday evening, having been rained out. Game one did not go so well for the Nats, an 8-4 loss in a game in which the Nats blew a 3-0 third inning lead. But game two did go well for the Nats, a 5-4 win in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-2 seventh inning deficit. A lot of home runs at Citizens Bank Park on Tuesday, including two by Joey Manessis in that 5-4 win on Tuesday night, the Nats now 50 and 64, including 12 wins over the team's last 18 games. Mark, a lot to take in from this doubleheader, but Joey Manessis in what was the 162nd game 
of his major league career, reminding us of the true pleasant surprise he has been uh, since the Nats called him up from the majors about one year ago. So I've been waiting for this day for a while, Al. I think you know this because I've kind of hinted at this over the last few weeks. I've been tracking this, waiting for game 162 because I wanted to see, okay, what are the totals for him after 162 games? And oh, by the way, they're really good for any player, let alone somebody who made his major league debut at age 30. So of course, he's having a rough day up to the seventh inning of game two. And I'm thinking, well, this is not going to look so good in the end. And then I'm thinking to myself, all right, come on, maybe he's got one big swing in him. And literally the next pitch, he homers his first home run of the day. And so I'm like, all right, let me put the stats out there. I add him up. I put him out there on Twitter. And then what, 45 minutes later or something, he hits another one and like, oh, I guess I better update these. So here you go. Officially 162 games in Joey Manessis' career, 295 batting average, 192 hits, 39 doubles, 24 homers, 97 RBI, 338 on base, 469 slugging, all of that equaling an 807 OPS. I know there are aspects of this season that have been frustrating to him. I know there are things that he wishes he had done better this year, particularly in the power department. But take a step back. And if I told you on August 2nd, 2022, that those would be this guy's numbers a year later after 162 big league games, that to me is just remarkable and tells me he is a legitimate big league hitter. He may not be an MVP the way that he was for two months last year, but you know what? Over the last month, he's played at an MVP pace again. He has been outstanding for them. He has caught fire. You know, there is a poetry to this Joey Manessa story that really is something with him being called up from the majors on August 2nd of last year, on the day on which the Nats traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell to the San Diego Padres. And it's like, okay, one chapter ended, but another began. We just didn't quite know it at the time. So Manessis in this game on Tuesday night, the game two of the doubleheader, two for five with a two-run homer and a solo homer. He and an Nats two-run seventh, had a one-out first pitch, two-run homer to left field to tie the game at four, 406 feet per stat cast. And then Manessis in an Nats one-run ninth, a one-out tie-breaking solo homer to left field on a one-two pitch from a man who has faced the Nats quite a few times over the years, Phillies reliever Craig Kimbrell for a 5-4 Nats lead. There are so many ways to do the Joey Manessis discussion. You obviously can big picture it the way Mark just did. But how about this? Joey Manessis, through July 6th, had hit just two home runs this season. He since then has hit nine home runs. He has caught fire in the home run hitting department. And as we have discussed, he could end up with 20 home runs this season. It's not out of the question. Not going to be easy, but it is doable. He has gotten going the way that good power hitters can get going. I don't think any of us knew what to think when he was stuck on those two homers for so long. I mean, it really was maddening, I'm sure, for him, but certainly for the rest of us wanting him to do well. Well, he now is doing well, and uh, he's a game changer. I mean, he essentially won the Nats the game on Tuesday night. Well, and I think the other part of this is he's not just compiling stats for the sake of it. He is producing in meaningful moments for them. We talked earlier in the year about the batting average rather than scoring position, which was outstanding. But he's hitting these home runs late in games, and they're tying the game or giving them the lead. It's really been meaningful production from him, and boy, have they needed it. And you know, we've also talked about how it's not really fair that the Nationals built a lineup this year that 
sort of was relying on him to carry the load, given his history that wasn't fair on him. And maybe he was feeling a little of that heat and that pressure for much of the first half of the season when he wasn't hitting for power. But he has turned it on ever since. And it's just such a nice development and such a nice thing. I know we talk about so many building blocks for this team as they try to become a winner again. And I'm not going to sit here and try to say that Joey Manessis is a big part of that or that he's guaranteed to be here in, say, two years. But I think he has value to them both now and potentially still in the future. And a late bloomer, it wouldn't be the first that's ever happened to. It's an unusual case given his background and how productive he's been since coming up. But it's not that odd to think of a guy in his low to mid-30s serving as a DH and maybe occasional first baseman being a productive player on a winning team, right? No, I mean, look, in the PED testing era, you don't often see this anymore. I think 20 years ago, you saw stuff like this. You don't see stuff like this now, but it's not completely unfathomable. I mean, the name that came to my mind when Manessis was tearing things up late last season was Jose Batista. And not that Manessis is that guy. It's not a perfect comp. But Batista was kind of a late bloomer, a guy who seemingly came out of nowhere. He'd been around, but he'd never been that big of a force. And then all of a sudden, like out of the blue, he became this massive force for a few seasons. So, you know, I don't know if Manessis is going to be that, but it does happen. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And look, I mean, 162 games into his major league career, the guy has produced. I give him credit. And if you were saying to yourself, well, man, what we saw last season was a total fluke you know, when he was stuck on the two home runs this season. I understand that thought, but here he is now hitting the way that he hit over the final two months of last season. So this is his time of year, I guess, August and September. And uh, man, what a job by Manessis on Tuesday night. Lots of home runs over these two games in the doubleheader by both teams. The Nats hit five home runs over the two games in the doubleheader. You had the two from Manessis on Tuesday night. We also had an Ildemaro Vargas home run in this 5-4 Nats win on Tuesday night. So Vargas right now is the every game third baseman. I mean, this is kind of interesting. And honestly, it's the kind of thing I'd be complaining about if not for Vargas having hit the homer on Tuesday night. Davey Martinez is playing Vargas game in, game out as a starting third baseman. I don't think that we should be in love with that. But Vargas, to his credit, on Tuesday night as a starting third baseman and number six batter, two for four with a two-run homer and a single. He had an ads two-run fourth, had a two-out two-run homer to left center field for a 2-1 Nats lead. And then even in the 8-4 loss in game one of the doubleheader, he had two homers by the Nats. Lane Thomas, who is getting going here lately again. That's good to see. He in game one, one for five, but the one was a two-run homer, came at a two-run third, a full count, two-run homer to left field for a 3-0 Nats lead. And Kbert Ruiz, who has been going well lately, he in game one of the doubleheader, three for four with a solo homer, an RBI single, and another single. He in an Nats one run second had a one out solo homer to right field for a one nothing Nats lead. There's a saying, right? When in Rome, dot dot dot. The Nats did as the Phillies do at Citizens Bank Ballpark, right? Hit home runs. We saw the Nats hit some homers on Tuesday. So they scored nine runs total in the doubleheader. Eight of them came via home run. It's amazing what that can do for you, huh? And it felt like it was going to be that sort of day, or if they were going to have a chance, it was going to have to be that sort of day. We know that ballpark, it's already a home run haven. The wind was blowing out. It felt like this is going to be a day where you're going to have to hit the ball in the air and try to score runs like that. And they did it to their credit. Some of them expected, some of them unexpected, like the Vargas one. I also got to mention Vargas's defense at third. He's making at least one really nice play a game. We saw that from him last year. 
it's not ideal to have a veteran utility man playing every day at third base on a rebuilding team, but short of any other options that they have at the moment, I guess you stick with it. He's helping them win some games here. We did finally see Jeter Downs in the lineup in game two. It did not go particularly well, either at the plate or in the field. So maybe that explains why we have seen so little of him. So short of that, I guess we're going to see Ildemaro Vargas in the lineup. The power was great. The defense there was solid and just good all around production. It's the missing ingredient for this Nats team right now, the home run. And if you could like just add one thing to the 2023 Nats, it would be more power. And if this team had that, I think it would be really interesting where this team would be in the standings. And, you know, it was also, I think, interesting and encouraging and almost kind of eerie because as this doubleheader was going on on Tuesday, we had for the Fredericksburg Nationals, Dylan Cruz hitting an opposite field grand slam, and that got a lot of attention on social media. He golfs it right center field. Kavanaugh ranging back, looking up. It's off the scoreboard, and Dylan Cruz, his first career grand slam as the Fred Nats blow it open here in the seventh as the Grand Slam should have. But, you know, you think about it, if you can just add some power to this lineup, I mean, if Dylan Cruz is here, say, a year from now, doing as we think he can do, hope that he will do, what could that mean? To say nothing of, you know, James Wood and eventually some of these other prospects. You know, you think about a Brady House, but yeah, the beauty of the home run. The Nats were hitting a bunch of them uh, over the course of this doubleheader. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate Ruiz, you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kalfis has recruiters in six states and has placed lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red hot antitrust, IP litigation, white collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kalfas. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535. They're all on their feet here in Philadelphia. 5-4 Nats, two out, bottom of the ninth. Three balls, two strikes. The pitch, swing and a miss. He struck him out. Back to the diving splitter. And a curly W's in the books. Kyle Finnegan does it again. His 11th consecutive appearance without allowing a run. And he closes the door with his third save on this road trip. Lots of bouquets and flowers for the Nats offense for hitting these homers, especially for Joey Manessis. And once again, we have to praise this Nats bullpen because... As much as Manessis fueled the win on Tuesday night, if not for the bullpen, Joey Manessis would not have been in position to fuel this Nats victory. The Nats bullpen, stunningly, is in a really good place right now. This game two win, four Nats relievers combined 
for four and a third shutout innings with six strikeouts. Now, Jose A. Ferrer did have some problems. He faced six batters, got just three outs, gave up two singles and a walk. But Andres Machado, what has gotten into this guy? I would love to know. He has become this shutdown reliever. Machado on Tuesday night, one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts. Yet another instance of him being a fireman came into the game, bottom of the sixth, runners on first and second, two outs, Nats down 4-2. He induced a ground out by the always dangerous Nick Castellanos for the third out. Then Jordan Weems, our guy, another good outing, a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts, and then the red-hot Kyle Finnegan, a perfect bottom of the ninth with two swinging strikeouts, which, oh, by the way, were of the Phillies' numbers two and three batters, Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harper. What a job, especially Machado, Weems, and Finnegan. Really, all three guys were dominant in this win on Tuesday night. Just exactly what we saw from them in Cincinnati, and it's just every day. They're doing this in spite of this ridiculously heavy workload, four out of five days now for all of them. And I guess you say, okay, the rain out on Monday helped, but in a way, having the doubleheader sort of forced their hand and making Davies say, well, if we're in a, one of these games, I've got to use them now. And so maybe that means they need Wednesday off. I don't know. We'll just have to take it day by day. But all three of them, it's a remarkable thing. Machado, this is not the guy we had seen the last year plus. I don't know where this came from, but it is amazing. Let's remember something here. This guy has been DFA'd by the Nationals twice in the last year, taken off the 40-man roster, re-signed to a minor league contract, works his way back up, gets sent down, DFA'd again, called back up. It's amazing. And whatever it is that he's doing, I mean, he's throwing harder. He's got pinpoint command. He's Got a 97-mile-an-hour sinker that's boring in on right-handed hitters' hands that is essentially unhittable right now. Whatever he has figured out, he's got to stick with that, channel it, and continue this because he is resurrecting a career that looked like it was all but lost not that long ago. Weems, we've been talking about for a while. We've liked what we've seen from him. This is a continuation of what we've seen from him and good for him for stepping up when they needed somebody to be the new eighth inning guy given all the other injuries. And Kyle Finnegan, we mentioned the stats the other day. He is right now as locked in as any late inning reliever in baseball. He has been that good. And as Dan Coco on the broadcast said, that was a big boy save. One run lead in that ballpark against Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper. And he made them all look silly, including Schwarber, the first pitch check swing. The splitter that he's throwing, when he starts it at the knees and it darts down from there, untouchable. And that has now taken him to another level. We've been talking for a week or more about how good this bullpen has been. I wrote about it the other day. Since the end of that series at Wrigley Field that was such a disaster, they have the lowest ERA in the National League and third best in baseball. These guys are stepping up absolutely when they need them. And that is the reason they're winning these games. These are close games that they're winning late. And the bullpen is as much a factor as any other part of the team. It really does speak to how unpredictable bullpens are and how just nobody really knows with relievers. I mean, it's not like some big trade was made to fix the bullpen. It's not like some big call-up was made to fix the bullpen. So many of these guys right now are pitching out of necessity. Like, if everyone is healthy, so many of these guys right now aren't in the Nats' bullpen right now. But these guys are there because of all these injuries, and somehow, some way. 
these guys are doing so well. Kyle Finnegan now on the season, 50 innings in ERA at 270. You know, he could end up with 70 plus relief innings on the year and an ERA under three. That would be tremendous. I mean, there are not many relievers these days who are doing that. He's averaging nearly a strikeout per inning, 49 strikeouts in 50 innings. And Jordan Weems for the season, 34 and a third innings at ERA at 262, 37 strikeouts in 34 and a third innings and a whip of 102. Look, God forbid something happens to Finnegan. I think we're entering into a territory in which maybe Weems could close some games. Like, he's got the stuff to do it. His numbers suggest that he could do it. I mean, I know it's a different environment when you're pitching in ninth innings, but like, Weems is really showing something with what he's doing. Yeah, if the situation arises or, you know, Finnegan's unavailable one night, absolutely. Take a shot at it, see what you get from him. Go back to uh, the game in Seattle crazy game, extra innings, and he wound up out there for his first career save, had a pitch out of a bases loaded jam. You could see that ever since then, it's like this renewed confidence that he gets it like, hey, I'm good. I can be successful in this league. Doesn't matter who I'm facing. And that's been a great thing. And, you know, you talk about how volatile bullpens are. Think about this. I remember at one point writing this back in the day when the Nats were constantly searching for closers at the trade deadline when they were competitive. It was something like nine of the previous 10 World Series winners had all ended the season in the World Series with a different closer than they had on opening day. This is often the way that it works. You can go into a season with plans and things inevitably are going to get shaken up along the way, either injuries or poor performances. You make trades, somebody out of nowhere steps up and the next thing you know, they're pitching big, important innings. And even at times you see this happen not until September or even into October, that somebody who wasn't a big part of it all year is suddenly thrown into the fire and succeeds. So it's not that unusual. And maybe we shouldn't be that surprised at how this has worked out. No, none of us would have thought here in early August that the Nats bullpen would be one of the best in baseball. And they would be the best because of Finnegan, Weems, Machado, and Ferrer, among others, La Sorsa. Like that wasn't the plan going in. But It's funny how that works out sometimes, and you give yourself enough potential options out there, put them into the mix, see how they handle it, and over time, the cream rises to the top. Yeah, I mean, even Joe LaSorsa in the 8-4 loss in game one, two perfect innings with three strikeouts. Now, the other Nats reliever used in that game, Amos Willingham, did give up a two-run homer by Jake Cave on an 0-2 pitch for an 8-3 Phillies lead. But yeah, I mean, so much to like right now with this Nats bullpen. I had to laugh with the rain out on Monday night. So we had on Sunday, Davey Martinez doing the exceptionally rare thing of using three different relievers each for a third consecutive day. And then like magically, there's this unscheduled off day on Monday. It's as if Davey knew what he was doing. You know, what kind of like a Jedi mind trick was Davey playing on all of us and in, uh, in doing what he did with the reliever usage there on Sunday? <laughs> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Well, the heat, the humidity, the sky-high temperatures, uh, they all are here. And all of this is forcing your air conditioning into overdrive, leading to ultra-high energy bills. The solution, new windows from the folks at Window Nation. And Window Nation right now is offering a sensational deal to listeners of the Nat Chat podcast. Right now, no money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus 
50% off all styles of windows. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Again, no money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. Know this about Window Nation. It has installed nearly 2 million windows with a 96% perfection rating. Window Nation is elite. Window Nation is the equivalent of peak Max Scherzer for the Nats. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years, plus 50% off all styles of windows, 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the Nats Chat Podcast. Hey, Nats Chat listeners, if you want to see Dylan Cruz play in the minors, you probably will be able to get a ticket no problem. But there are plenty of other events where it isn't so simple. And when that happens, make sure to check out the Game Time app. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about Factor. We on the Nats Chat podcast talk all the time about who is and will be a factor for the Nats. Well, the factor that I want to tell you about is as good as any top-notch prospect. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and it can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. With Factor, you skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping and the prepping and the cleaning up, too, while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factor is fresh, never frozen meals already in just two minutes. So all that you have to do is heat up and enjoy. Treat yourself to 34 plus weekly restaurant quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon. Again, ready in just two minutes. Go to factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use the promo code natschat50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash natschat50 and use that code natschat50 to get 50% off. The 1-0. Swing a blast deep right. Forget about it. This one headed toward the upper tank. Second deck missile. Gone in the blink of an eye. And the Phillies lead for the first time 6-3. Schwarber's second homer of the day, his 30th of the season, and he's driven in five. Well, the biggest negative for the Nats in this uh, doubleheader split at the Phillies on Tuesday was the starting pitching. Trevor Williams was not good in game one of the doubleheader, and Josiah Gray was not good in the 5-4 win on Tuesday night. Four runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up six hits, a home run, two doubles, and three singles. He issued two walks. He did record five strikeouts, but he over his four and two-thirds innings through 92 pitches. He allowed just one run through four innings, but he, in the bottom of the fifth, got charged with three runs, including giving up a two-out, two-run homer by our pal Bryce Harper to right field 
for a 3-2 Phillies lead. It was a shame that the line ended up being what it was. It was a shame that he only lasted for the four and two-thirds innings. It's been a weird run here for Josiah Gray since the All-Star break. Some good outings. It's not like they've all been bad, but you know he has had some outings that certainly have been disappointing too. Well, and he again has this these starts where he's in trouble almost every inning. And he did a pretty good job most of the night of getting out of it. Only the one run, like you said, up until the fifth. He did not have fastball command. His slider, I mean, he was getting swings and misses on it, but you never knew where it was going to land. It was all over the place. And he was fighting it, trying to figure out what was working. He basically abandoned the fastball, which we have seen him do at times and sometimes be successful with it. And he was still, in spite of all that, one pitch away. He had Harper in a one-two count, I think it was, one pitch away from getting out of that. And maybe even the pitch count being low enough that he could come back for the sixth. Instead, he gives up the home run, then the infield single, which was a play that Jeter Downs should have made. And Davey decided to call it quits after that. The high pitch counts, I think, are really becoming a concern for him and others on the staff. And it's these high stress innings. It's getting ahead in the count, not being able to put them away. Long drawn out at bats. And even when you're not giving up runs, we've seen this with him. We've seen it with Mackenzie Gore as well. They're not getting to the sixth inning on, you know, 80 pitches. If they get there, they're approaching 100. And sometimes they're not even getting that far because they're already too close to 100 prior to that. Now they're young. They're going to learn. You hope over time these things get better. But right now it is kind of a struggle to get them deeper in games because even when they're successful, it's taking them a lot of pitches to do it. Yeah. Josiah Gray on the season is averaging 17.38 pitches per inning. Mackenzie Gore on the season is averaging 18.03 pitches per inning. For comparison's sake, Patrick Corbin, whatever you want to say about him, 16.04 pitches per inning. Like Corbin has been more pitch efficient than Gray and Gore have been, although, of course, the results for Corbin have not been what they have been for Gray and Gore. And then Trevor Williams. So this was his return from the bereavement list. You know, he ended up being on the bereavement list for quite some time, July 31st to August 6th. Usually you go on bereavement leave around for like, I don't know, two or three days. He was out for about a week. So, you know, I hope he's doing okay. I hope this wasn't a particularly painful bereavement leave for him. But he, on Tuesday, pitched for the first time in nine days, and he was not good. He allowed six runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up eight hits, three home runs, a double, and four singles. He did have seven strikeouts versus one walk, which usually is a sign of a really good outing, but uh, he, over his four and two-thirds innings, threw 103 pitches. So the strikeouts did have the effect of adding to that pitch count. The big thing with Williams, the three home runs, bottom of the third, he allowed three runs. He gave up back-to-back one-out homers, gave up a one-out full count, two-run homer by Kyle Schwarber to right field to cut the Nats lead to 3-2. And Williams gave up a one-out opposite field homer by Alec Bohm to right center field to tie the game at three, 419 feet for stat cast. And speaking of home run measurements, Williams in the bottom of the fourth gave up a moonshot by Kyle Schwarber, a two-out, three-run Schwarbaum on a bomb to the second deck in right center for a 6-3 Phillies lead, 447 feet per stat cast. Again, a lot of homers over the course of this doubleheader. It wasn't that long ago that Trevor Williams' ERA for this season was in the threes. His ERA for this season now 
is up to exactly five over 23 starts. His season really has unraveled over these last few weeks. It is unfortunate, but it is the home run causing that, I think, more than anything else. He is now second in the National League in home runs allowed. The leaderboard is kind of fascinating. It's Aaron Nola, number one, Trevor Williams, number two, Patrick Corbin, number three, and Max Scherzer, number four, and that's pre-trade, so he's not going to add to that total. But in his time with the Mets, he gave up 23 of them and is in fourth place. So all of them in the NL East, two of them current nationals, one of them a former national for whatever that's worth. I don't know. The home runs are a problem for Trevor Williams. He is not pitching particularly well right now. The pitch counts, like we said, are very high. He's not giving them length. Not that that was supposed to be his forte going into this. And I think we're confronting a decision coming up here at some point. We don't know exactly how this is going to work out, but one of the domino effects of the rainout, they have a sixth starter already available in Yoan Adone. So they don't have to call somebody up to make up for this doubleheader. I presume, I don't think it was announced yet, but I presume Adone will start Friday against the A's. If he is good in that start, and that's now back-to-back good starts, and I get it, it's against the A's, so take it for what it's worth, but hey, still a major league team, you still got to perform out there. If he has a good start, I think you have to consider keeping him in the rotation and removing somebody else. And right now, all things considered, Trevor Williams might make the most sense to shift to a long relief role in the bullpen, given that it's something he has done in his career. Well, if Adone shows anything in a second start, why not? I mean, you know, presumably there's upside with Adone, whereas with Williams, you know, there would not seem to be. The Nats do have some off days coming up, scheduled off days anyway. The next few Mondays, uh, August 14th is a scheduled off day. August 21st is a scheduled off day. So yeah, you would think you could do something like that. It's a shame because Williams was pitching well. I mean, we were talking about him as a potential trade chip not that long ago. But yeah, it just, it has not gone well for him lately here. And uh, that was a particularly rough outing. I mean, one thing about the Phillies, you know, they can be up and down as a team, but they do hit homers. Like they will punish you. If you make mistake pitches, the Phillies will punish you. We saw this last season and we obviously have seen this this season. But a nice job by the Nats to get the win on Tuesday night. Game three of this series, Wednesday evening at 640. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. I did want to make mention of this, these comments from Bryce Harper that have gotten some attention. So there's been kind of a thing going on lately in Philly with Philly fans actually being rather nice to Philly's players and cheering them on. This became a thing actually with another ex-Nat, Trey Turner, who has had a really difficult season But for whatever reason, Philly's fans as of late have been like really cheering him on. And he really has taken to that. He has shown an appreciation for that. So Bryce Harper on Sunday in an interview on the Phillies radio network just like started sounding off on Philly's fans and playing in Philly and said all these nice things about Philadelphia. And at one point, Bryce Harper said regarding Philadelphia, quote, I wish I started my career here just the way it is. End quote. (laughs) He said, I wish I started my career here. Now, Sunday was the day before Monday, which was supposed to be the day on which a four-game series against Bryce's former team, the Nationals, began. I don't know if Bryce said what he said strategically or if it's just a big coincidence that what he said happened to be said the day before this four-game series was about to start. I don't know. Maybe I'm misremembering, as Roger Clemens once said. I don't remember fans in Washington, D.C. being harsh on Bryce Harper. I actually remember fans being pretty good to Bryce. What did you think about what he said? I wish I started my career here. 
they were awfully good to him until he signed with the Phillies, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right, a few thoughts on this. Having covered him and gotten to know him a little bit and seen him throughout all of this, Bryce Harper is very good at playing up to the crowd of wherever he is, okay? Think about the time in D.C., think about the home run derby, fully embracing D.C. with the bandana that he wore, uh, the bat, I think it was, and the cleats, playing up to the crowd, talking about how much he loved D.C., and this was for them. And then he signs with the Phillies, and he can't wait to talk about wanting to bring home a title to D.C. Oh, wait. No, he slipped up and said D.C., and he meant Philly. And now he immediately starts wearing the Philly fanatic bandana and the cleats. And I'm not saying it's not genuine, but I think he is a guy who understands that wherever he is, it's important to play that up and to give your all for that fan base and to make that fan base feel like they are the best around. I don't want to get into a DC versus Philly sports fans debate. It's stupid. It's pointless. Very different fan bases, very different cities. Each have the things that are good about them. Each have things that are not as good about them. But I've always been a little fascinated with the DC reaction to everything that Bryce has said and done since he left DC. It seems like there is a lot more attention on that than pretty much anybody else who has left, and certainly others have left. Now, maybe the circumstances of him leaving were different, and of course, he left, and then they won the World Series the next year. But I'd be curious why DC fans care so much about what Bryce says and thinking that things may be slights towards them or not. Like, you won the World Series. You had plenty of other stars here. Not that this team is better off without Bryce Harper, but they did perfectly fine without him. And now we're in a whole new phase. And if Bryce really wished he had started his career in Philadelphia, well, then he would have spent the first decade there without making the playoffs once. Yeah. I mean, I think there are a few things with Bryce. So first of all, I think this is always important to remember. He didn't leave the Nationals so much as the Nationals didn't want to re-sign him. I think that gets misrepresented by some people when they say like, oh, he chose the Phillies over the Nats. That's not what happened. The Nats really weren't that interested in re-signing him. I think that was made clear by the way that those negotiations went. I would say when it comes to like why fans care, I think a big part of it is, you know, Bryce was and is a big star. And you could argue he was the biggest of all the stars who have left the Nationals. And so I think that's part of it. You know, you certainly could argue he's the biggest personality. You certainly could argue he's the most outspoken of all of those who have left the Nats. And I also would say this, and I don't know how many people feel this way, but I know I felt this way. I don't think we got out of Bryce what we wanted to get and what we thought that we would get. Now, we got a spectacular 2015 season, no doubt, one of the great seasons in baseball over the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, whatever you want to say. But Aside from 2015, his time here was not what it was supposed to be. He was hurt a good amount. He did not have a bunch of big MVP caliber seasons. I mean, again, save for 2015, name me the other MVP caliber season that Bryce Harper had. And so I think there was kind of a feeling of, yeah, you're talented. No one is saying that you're not, but you're not what you were supposed to be. Like you were supposed to be the chosen one, you know, this all-time great. That's not what he was here. Now he has done a really good job with the Phillies and he may end up being a Hall of Fame player. We'll see. But I think for at least some Nats fans, there is a little bit of, I don't know if resentment is the right word because the Nats did win a World Series in his first year gone from here. 
But he was supposed to be like the Alex Ovechkin of the Nationals. And that's not what he ended up being. And it's not just because he's no longer here. His time here did not end up living up to the hype. And the hype was immense. But save for that one great season, which was a non-playoff season, every other season, he either was good but hurt or he wasn't as good as he was supposed to be. And I think that sticks with some people of like, there was this unfulfilled promise with Bryce Harper on the Nats. The only thing I'd amend to that, I think his rookie year, 2012, he won rookie of the year. No, it wasn't MVP caliber, but he was a big spark for them as a 19-year-old and stealing home off Cole Hamels. Like the, there was a lot that year that he did to sort of energize and be a big part of the first winning team. But you're not wrong about the rest of that. And in totality, he was not fully the player that everybody thought he could be this generational once ever, you know, 17-year-old getting drafted number one. Where's my ring going to lead them to the promised land? No, it was not, you know, that. And he has always been a lightning rod. (laughs) And it's funny, I I think back to that, where's my ring line? And I was there for it. It was the first day of spring training in 2015, by the way. And it was one line out of a long soliloquy that he gave in which he was just talking about how excited he was for that season because they had signed Scherzer. He was feeling good after, I think, having missed time in 14. And I remember coming out of that thinking to myself, boy, this guy's about to have a big year. And he did. He won the MVP. Now, the team didn't. And that line stuck with him forever. And I feel like after that, because that line got so much attention that he started to clam up a little bit after that and wasn't the free-spirited, say-whatever-he-thought kind of thing after that. And he became more reserved and a little more calculated in what he would say publicly for better or worse. He's an interesting character. He is a great player, but he's not always been a great player. The consistency year to year is not always there. I think it's fair to question, mostly on the defensive side, whether the effort is always there. And you could look at his final season here and say, He didn't seem to go all out, maybe because he was protecting his body as he was about to become a free agent. The other thing I'll say about this, and I think I've alluded to this before, but it was always the sense that I had. He was interested in staying for the right dollar amount, and he didn't get the dollar amount that he wanted. But once he became a free agent, Philadelphia was not first on his list. He was looking at some other markets. I think he and Scott Boris really believed in the end that the Dodgers, in particular, maybe the Cubs, the Yankees had already gone after, I think, Stanton and some others. And so that was never really going to be the thing, the dream of Bryce Harper going to New York. The Phillies just kind of loomed all that winter. Remember how long it took? It was spring training before he signed. And it got to a point finally that they were the only ones offering him the kind of contract that he was looking for. And I always felt like he went there a little reluctantly. I never got the sense over the years that he enjoyed playing there as a visitor. He had seen the way they treated Jason Worth when he came back to town. Phillies fans booed him for seven years when he came back to town. Now, once he got there, things went well. He played well. The fans embraced him. He embraced them back. Like I said, he's very good at understanding the situation and playing up to his fan base, and he's done a good job of that. Was he everything he could have been in D.C.? No, he wasn't. What would have happened if he had stayed? Who knows? Was he a disappointment? Would he have been successful? Could he have helped them win a World Series? Who knows? We'll never know the answer to that. But now that we're, what, five years removed from him going there, I kind of feel like it's time to let go and say, let Bryce be Bryce. Why do we care so much about what he has to say or what he does at this point? 
They're going to face each other for years to come, of course. Maybe there'll be a time when both teams are good and there'll be some really impactful, meaningful games between the two sides, and that'll be fun. But in the meantime, I'm kind of off Bryce Harper. Maybe I'm alone in that. Maybe most people don't feel that way. But I kind of feel like I don't need to care about him as much as it seems like people still care about him. Well, of all of the big-name Nats who have left the team, either by trade or free agency, you certainly could argue he's the one doing the best. You know, a lot of these guys are not exactly thriving away from the Nationals. You certainly could argue that Bryce Harper is the guy who is doing the best. He is an immense talent of that There is no doubt. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the show NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online as well at NatsChatPodcast.com, at which you can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the music of the Nats Chat Podcast. Visit timnewmark.com. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And Tim Shovers would like to leave you with this, uh, shall we say, classic Nats Chat clip. This has to do with a salute to our friend Paolo Espino, who, of course, recently was released by the Nationals. This is a clip that Shovers dug deep into the archives to find April 18th, 2021. So this is in the early days of the podcast. This is before the rebuild began. This is before we knew that a rebuild was going to have to be enacted. This was off Paolo Espino coming to pitch for the Nats at the major league level. So take a listen. Enjoy if you can. (laughs) And uh, we thank you for listening. And we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Their number two guy as a rotation replacement, if you consider Eric Fetty to be number one to begin the season, is this guy Paolo Espino, okay? And all due respect to the Espino family, but for those who don't know who Paolo Espino is, he's in his age 34 season. He's had multiple stints in the Nats farm system. He is someone who has been a journeyman. This is not like some prospect, some young guy they threw out there on Sunday and, hey, let's see what the young kid has. And we hope that this is the start of many good years to come for Paolo Espino. It's like, no, this is a classic patchwork starter for the Nationals. That's who they turn to in terms of like a second guy when it comes to like backup starting pitchers. Fetty is one. Espino ends up being number two. They didn't go to Austin Voth, interestingly. It looks like they want to keep him as a reliever. And he's looked good in that role so far. But like Paolo Espino, this is the state of the organizational starting pitching depth. Paolo Espino. And not that he was wretched on Sunday because he wasn't, but that's not the point. You want to try to unseat the Atlanta Braves with the likes of Paolo Espino as your rotational depth. That's a concern. That's a problem.